everyone. Welcome to another episode of Zero. My name is Shane Petkowitz. Thank you very much for following along. Hope you're enjoying this this season. Um, focusing, obviously, on the latest Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report, uh, speaking with authors uh, who were very much involved over the last six, seven, eight years, assessing the science that we have today of climate change, uh, adaptation efforts, mitigation efforts, and then providing these reports over the, the course of the last few years. So um, today we're going to do a more of a focused discussion on adaptation efforts. In particular, we're going to be speaking with uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Mohammed Irfan Tariq. He is based out of Pakistan. He has over 32 years of experience, uh, generally working in the public sector in federal and provincial governments, uh, trying to enact policies and programs and projects related to the environment, climate change, and sustainable development. Most recently, he was the Director General of Environment and Climate Change within the Ministry of Climate Change um, and uh, um, uh, kind of phased out of that role in the past year or so, but provides a wealth of information on one, the impacts of climate change on Pakistan, um, which are significant, and the vulnerabilities that the, the country has, uh, as well as some of the, the key efforts that the leadership at the highest level is trying to implement and adapt to these very significant challenges. So hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks. Uh, the UN Secretary General said it's, it is an existential threat now for the global ecological system. Uh, I think in Pakistan, we need to multiply that with, with, a, with, uh, uh, with two or maybe four. Why? Because uh, one, we, we must understand the context here. Pakistan is located in South, South Asia and you know, it is a sort of a slide. If you if you look at the longer side of Pakistan, it's about uh, 2,500 to 3,000 kilometers. And from the second highest point on the globe, which is K2, it goes within three or two, uh, 2,500 kilometers below sea level. So you can see the slide. If you just... Uh, open a tap water there, you, you it will turn into flood, one. So our geographical location, it's, it's extremely, extremely sensitive. We have the largest ice mass after the globe, after the poles, which is called the third pole. And these are our glaciers. This is the largest glacial mass apart from the poles. And Pakistan is divided into 10 or 12 ecological regions. So it starts from deep sea, moves into the coastal communities, some of the largest urban areas, deserts, plainlands, rangelands, high altitude mountains, and snow capped you know, uh, mountains. So it's it's a number of ecological systems. It's not like uh, any uh, um, Afghanistan or Nepal. It's it's a totally different setting, which means that there, if there is a disaster, it is going to impact differently 
in a desert region and the impacts in the in the in the glacial regions would be extremely different so what i'm just trying to uh, portray about pakistan is that it's its geographical location and look at the so social social indicators we have a very fast growing um uh, population growth rate almost uh, 30 35% of our population is below poverty line so they um they uh need to have that re resistance capability develop and what is happening now you said a few uh, we have seen some floods and for 2022 we saw multiple climate induced disasters so let's start with gloves we had 300 gloves last year 2022 in pakistan 200 glacial lake outburst flood incidences we had droughts parallel to forest fire in the top, top um, pine forests we had this locust attack a uh, flood was the worst of the um, climate disasters um, during the recent uh, past cyclones we had never experienced cyclones in this region for almost last 30 years 25 30 years cyclones is a regular phenomena here heat wave and then gloves you know you can very well imagine in the south we have got right now there's an announcement about heat waves now being now starting although it's it's it's, it's end of the uh, winter season but the heat waves they have started in the southern region on on the northern part we have got gloves uh flood water after almost 6 months it's in some parts of the region it, it is still there because it's below sea level and it would just um, uh, move away with the evaporation and that would take time because we are right now in into uh, ending this uh, winter season so all these climate disasters they have impacted us uh as we were coming out of covid we had uh, i think we we uh, were able to manage our economy during the covid season um, we were able to generate a lot of uh, green jobs during covid we were able to carry forward the uh, people engaged in different uh, uh, livelihood activities but then thereafter we had a lot many challenges and i'm not talking of the political challenges or the ch economic challenges uh, that were there and they are getting um, um, worse and worse but apart from that the social environmental and climate change challenges uh, they have sort of um, um, brought the country to almost uh, a very kali sack sort of position where you can't move right left or move um, uh, ahead um i think we we are in a very very uh, in a in a very fixed position um because now it has started impacting our economy uh, just to give you one example um 
55% of our population is somehow directly or indirectly engaged in agriculture. Either they are farmers or they are uh, uh, traders of those commodities. Now with this flood, people were not able to uh, sow their uh, uh, harvest. What would happen? Now look at the chain all, uh, all along the way. The farmers, those traders, the laborers, they're all out of um, their uh, um, jobs or um, uh, and, uh, enterprises. So it's, 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 it's a huge challenge. And um, how do, and uh, on top of all that, we are just producing 0.9% of the total global emissions. Yeah, so, so a country with this, this much of emissions and this much of uh, uh, landscape of climate disaster, um, um, I think you won't find any, any other country um, globally, and I wish you you don't find any. Yeah, it's, I mean it's devastating the, what what you're sharing, and, and it's it's really uh, unfortunate that that there's so many risks that you, and multipliers that you've identified and that are happening and have been happening. So, in your role as as director general, uh, overseeing policy implementation and policy landscape over such a diverse region. How do you approach that? And, and, and you know, how do you, yeah, I guess just how do you approach that given the diversity of the challenges that you're facing at the national level? So uh, I think that's a very good question. And why? Because our response has to be that multifaceted. Yeah. And we need to care for people uh, from all economic backgrounds, from all ecological regions, and with all geographical diversity. Uh, uh, so if I were to identify uh, uh, what we were able to achieve, I would I would uh, uh, identify three major um, interventions, and I would divide them into legislation, policy, and institutional arrangements to address climate change. Um, considering that for the last twenty years, for two decades. Pakistan has been appearing in the German Watch Index top 10 uh, uh, impacted countries um, list. Uh, we uh, required a legislative sort of cover from the parliament to move ahead with climate change. And therefore, we had an act of parliament approved in 2017, which envisions uh, a uh, uh, three major institutions. One of them is the Prime Minister's Council, which the Prime Minister, uh, uh, one of them is the Council, Climate Change Council, which is chaired by the Prime Minister. And with all relevant ministers and everybody there, that is the highest um, decision making forum. And it has been chaired, it, it is proposed to be chaired by the Prime Minister just to, just to show that. This is a very serious issue for us. Second is uh, Climate Change Authority, which serves as a secretariat for the council. And third, to facilitate the actions to be taken, there's a climate change fund. So that is broadly the parameters, contours of this legislation. Then in 2012, we thought it, it would be extremely useful to have a policy 
approved by the cabinet, which identifies our key priorities, also identifies our mitigation and adaptation sectors, identifies how to do capacity building and where to get engaged and uh, what our basic um, uh, objective should be. We were able to have this policy approved by the cabinet after a very, very long consultative process because we have we are a fairly large country um, to, to 20 to 30 million people. Um, that policy was updated um, in 20, uh, 2020. So it's we have a very um, updated sort of policy document, which has all those economic sectors, what, how to move in each of those sectors, transport, waste, um, energy, agriculture, town planning, <coughs> divided them into um, um, both adaptation and mitigation and adaptation is our priority. So that, that is how, and, and considering the, the, um, uh, geographical di diversity. We have, um, uh, since we have a, a one national government and <coughs> sorry, uh, about seven sub-national governments, we have asked them to devise their own action plans according to their own geographical and uh, physical conditions. Um, the third most important thing is the um, the legislation, the policy, and the institution. So um, uh, we have we were one of the first pioneering countries to have this uh, uh, a ministry, a, a full fledged ministry, at the national level. We had this done in 2011. One of the pioneering countries to. Um, um, uh, uh, tag that climate change is an issue for us and we need to have an institution to take care of this. Although it's an administrative un uh, 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 sort of uh, unit, not a technical unit, but then we, uh, along with this ministry, we have, uh, as I said, the legislation asks us to have this council and uh, an authority. Apart from them, uh, apart from these two institutions, we have uh, a global change impact study center, uh, 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 an institu research institution named as global change impact study center. Now the, the primary purpose is research on climate change and downscaling whatever the IPCC findings are to the regional and the national level. So whatever um, uh, findings you saw in ER5, we downscaled them to our uh, national boundaries sort of, and then um, um, uh, informed all concerned to take measures um, accordingly. Um, whatever the climate science was um, uh, predicting, we um, informed everybody to take actions um, in accordance with, with those findings. So um, I think what we were able to do was primarily have this legislation in place. And you know that legislation means that the whole parliament, the two houses of the parliament agree to this. Now there's a national consensus indicating that climate change is our topmost priority. Number two, we have a national policy and 
um, uh, subsequent uh, uh, strategies and action plans at subnational level. And three are the institutions um, which are mandated under the rules of business, public uh, rules of business to, to act on uh, climate change. And then you see things flow from there. You, you respond to uh, UNFCC for um, uh, national communication or biennial update reports and um, submit your NDC. So we, we were able to do that. Now, because of all these three things, three major in initiatives, we were able to meet all our obligations. So, so I can, I can uh, uh, very honestly say that uh, right now, Pakistan does not fall in the category of countries who have not fulfilled their, any of these obligations. Ratification, reporting, um, uh, uh, and system development. We, we have we submitted our ratification to all conventions and uh, protocols related to climate change. We um, submitted whatever uh, reporting and commitments we were required to do um, uh, and subsequent. So um, I think uh, uh, there are very uh, large gaps because of our capacities. You can understand that uh, a, a population with 30-35% people below uh, the poverty line would uh, put a lot of many challenges. Uh, but I think we have not done bad. What are, whatever were our commitments and obligations, we have been successful um, in meeting them. And um, we have not let the global community um, see us as... Um, um, uh, somebody defaulting on any part. Yeah, it's exciting to hear that there's so much leadership and longstanding leadership at the national level for these these addressing these challenges, whether it's the council, the authority, and, and, and having these policies. I'm curious, you mentioned capacity building and trying to balance adaptation and mitigation. And I imagine in a country, as you just alluded to, that where there's 35% below the poverty line and there's over half of the population is is involved in the agricultural space, a space that's very probably uh, exposed to climate change risks. Can you give examples of adaptation measures at either at the national or at the state level that you've taken um, to be able to address that? We have different economic sectors, agriculture, energy, uh, industries, uh, forestry, but to be specific on agriculture, um, um, you know, agriculture and livestock is taken as a single sector. Uh, where while we are developing the um, uh, GAG inventory as per IPCC guidelines, uh, we have the la uh, the fourth largest stock of um, uh, livestock animals in the country, uh, uh, in globally, fourth or fifth, which means that we also produce a lot of methane. And methane, uh, as you know, is uh, has, a, has a huge uh, global warming potential. So what we are trying to do is, we are trying to improve the feeding category of the cattle because uh, methane is produced uh, through uh, in, um, enteric uh, fermentation. We're trying to improve their uh, feedstock. 
and trying to uh, uh, improve the health of the these livestock uh, animals. Second, uh, we produce a lot of um, uh, rice. Rice again produces a lot of methane because when you um, um, uh, use nitrous oxide um, ammonia uh, with water, it turns into nitrous oxide and produce also produces methane. What we are trying to do is uh, 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 develop uh, crops, rice crop, which is water efficient and which produces um, uh, lower quantity of uh, methane. We have been successful in identifying and developing that plant need to upscale that because you see, um, majority of farmers, they, they, they um, have very small land holdings and they're not so very um, uh, literate to get to capture the most recent scientific uh, assessments. So we are into that. Thirdly, I must say we uh, produce a lot of cotton and cotton, you know, uh, 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 is in the, in some of the very hot parts of the country. And it usually gets a lot of locust attack, which is an, which is again an environmental issue. We are trying to um, develop uh, environmental technologies where this lo locust uh, attack can be um, uh, 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 re restrained. And the fourth one is we also produce a lot of uh, sugarcane. Now, two thirds of this country is arid. And which means that we are um, exporting a lot of water although we are already water stressed. So we are trying to have uh, um, uh, sugarcane uh, sugar crops, which are water and heat re uh, resistant. Uh, and that is where, because you know, um, sugar industry is a huge industry, they're power powerful people. So the change there is very, very slow. So these are some of the um, uh, actions, where, um, some of the adaptive actions in, uh, uh, in rice and livestock sectors. But I think we uh, still need to do a lot more. The scientific um, knowledge has, uh, has to move down to the grassroots. And that is where we have this ex uh, agricultural extension program um, uh, going on in the country. And that needs to be, you know, um, uh, further refined and upscale. Um, so there are uh, um, adaptive actions taken in the in this sector, but I think we we still need to upscale them and to do much more in this sector because there are multiple crops. Yeah, thank you very much. It's, it's helpful to understand the dif different adaptive methods that you've taken. One thing I want to shift gears a little bit, and I know. You, we've touched upon this a little bit throughout the discussion. You've mentioned efforts to downscale research, global research at the IPCC level down to the national level. You've mentioned efforts to have local outreach through this extension program. So I'm curious, obviously, can you speak a little bit as part of your role at the IPCC and the importance of not only having a scientific basis, but 
translating that into policy? Like how how is that how does that happen? How have you seen that play out in your in your work at the IPCC? Uh, so let let me give you an example now. Uh, during AR five cycle, we uh, there was an assessment uh, about global temperature rise, and we found out that uh, during the last cycle, till the last cycle, the global temperature rose by zero point six percent as a degree C Celsius. Uh, we using that same model, we tried to um uh, uh gauge the temperature over pakistan and the temperature over pakistan was 1 degree c uh so what we found out was that pakistan was getting hotter much at a much faster rate compared to the global um uh, average and the evidence was uh, in 2015, uh, yeah, 2015, we had the first heat wave in Pakistan. It was in the coastal city of Karachi, where about uh, uh, 2,000 people perished. This was an upcoming evidence based on scientific understanding. And therefore, what we did was then, again, uh, uh, based on this, these findings, we were able to develop are adaptive guidelines, adapt, uh, adaptation guidelines for different sectors. For example, health, how to cope with the, uh, uh, such heat waves, how to, uh, uh, what to do for uh, in agriculture for when we get this, um, the, the, these heat waves occur. So this was how we tried to capture whatever was there in the um, uh, IPCC's scientific assessment, downscale it to our national level, and try to uh, 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 inform people. Um, similar was the case with um, um, glaciers. You see, um, these glacial mass, this glacial mass is um, uh, between India, Pakistan, China, and Nepal. So there are, there are about four or five countries engaged in this. And there is, a, a, we call it, um, because it is in the Karakoram mountain region, we call, we call it Karakoram anomaly, which, which has got two uh, very important features. One, that the temperature over um, higher altitudes is rising much faster. And second is that, uh, they're, they're, the glaciers, somewhere they're receding. And at some places, there's an, there's an incidence of um, uh, glaciers getting increase, um, uh, increasing mass. So uh, this is an anomaly which, um, uh, you know, uh, we are trying to determine through scientific means. Uh, and it, it's a very, very tough terrain. Um, so what I'm trying to come to is that um, all this climate science flowing from IPCC, we, whatever we can absorb at the national level, we also understand that we are 
scientific uh, capacity is also extremely limited. Um, we, we have some very good, bright, young climate scientists, but um, uh, uh, to capture the whole multifaceted impacts of climate change, it's extremely, extremely challenging. And um, uh, we're trying to uh, develop these capacities with time, but uh, and um, uh, obviously the, it takes a lot of time and resources. Um, so that's what that that's how I just wanted to um, highlight how this IPCC science is being captured uh, in our national systems and uh, what uh, how we are reacting to the uh, to this um, uh, to this science based on all this um, all these uh, um, downscaling of research there are a number of policy documents coming up. Uh, have already come up as uh, as well. For uh, just to name a few, we uh, we have this uh, um, national water policy because now we are getting into water stress con conditions, and climate change is again a threat multiplier for water sector, and water sector uh, is uh, is uh, 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 you know our energy and uh, food secure energy security and food security and water security they all depend on water so we 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 needed when we understood the climate science impacting water sector we came up with the national water policy so there are a number of policy instruments coming into shape after um, uh, understanding the the outcomes of this climate climate science um, similar is the case with the electric vehicles policy. We had it drafted and approved in 2019. And that is also because of the um, uh, climate change impacts, specifically talking of uh, uh, slow-lived climate pollutants, uh, which are caused um, because of uh, vehicular uh, emissions. So I think there, there are a number of policy um, uh, instruments coming out of all this uh, 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 climate findings. Yeah, and it's exciting to see so many of the policy findings that are coming out from these findings. I'm curious, there's, there's uh, I'm interpreting the way I say it, there's all this information that's being generated at the at PCC and other institutions on the basis of science, of, of climate science. And then you're, you've successfully been implementing these policies. And so in that in-between, portion, how, how is it that you're able to achieve buy-in at the government level? Because on the one hand, a government needs to be able to interpret and accept and then implement an actionable plan based on this information that's provided. So can you speak about, it seems like you've been very successful uh, at the Institute to be able to do that. So how do you approach that? How have you achieved so much buy-in and, and, and willingness to implement these changes in policy tools? Uh... So, uh, uh, no, um, uh, you know, up till policy level, I think uh, we, we were able to um, uh, make good progress. But the implementation, uh, if, you, if I were to um, uh, talk about the implementation of the National Climate Change Policy, I, uh, I would say I'm not, I'm not disappointed. We had an, an assessment done last year which said that um, uh, very specifically stated that 
almost more than 50% of policy recommendations were implemented. 50% of uh, recommendations getting implemented in a country like Pakistan with so much of diversity in terms of geographical and um, governance structures, I think it's extremely, extremely um, good achievement. But uh, still, I think we need to have leapfrog jumps um, uh, uh, to get this uh, uh, this implementation at a very fast track and in, in the right direction. Uh, we were able to develop different policy documents. Uh, we had good uh, um, success in implementing climate change policy. But still, I think we need, we need to um, improve our um, uh, implementation standards. And how were we able to do it? I think um, now that there is no question, if you, if you look at the, uh, uh, first of all, uh, buy-in from the political leadership, buy-in from the public representatives and public uh, opinion makers, so this is one sector, if I, if I were to call it a sector, climate change and environment, where across all political divisions, there is consensus. Uh, and the example is that in 2017, when we had this act uh, approved by the parliament, it was unanimous. There was not a single vote against it, all, across all parties. So, um, one is that um, we we had uh, we have good ownership uh, ownership from all political parties and incidentally for the last uh, uh, few years we also had good political uh, leadership in the government uh, as well which understood climate change and environment and they were keen to take it forward today also we have a lady minister here she understands uh, 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 um, uh, climate uh, change. She's very, very vocal. Uh, uh, but because of other political and uh, in-country uh, uh, challenges, um, uh, our response to climate change is not uh, has not emerged on the radar as well, uh, as yet. In the previous um, years, we were able to do that because of um, uh, the political leadership's buy-in. Uh, uh, I think we, uh, as we recover from all other different challenges we have, we'll be able to uh, um, uh, uh, come up again with more, um, rather, uh, more forcefully. Um, and the second most important, I think, is uh, uh, these floods, you see, Although they have highlighted um, climate change, but uh, the recovery has uh, taken over all other sectors. It's 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 a very um, huge loss, and um, the, the the damage done to infrastructure and everything. I think uh, um, the all of government approach is right now towards. Um, um, reconstruction and recovery from that flood. So, um, uh, which is because of climate change, but now that we need to get people back on their livelihoods, we need to get people back into their uh, 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 fields and uh, markets. 
so um, uh, uh, it is now uh, after this um, flood now internally we need to do a lot of housekeeping and to um, uh, bring them back on on um, on track so um, uh, i think we have been uh, since as i said i've been engaged since 92 i think um, uh, pakistan has shown uh, uh, a lot of leadership but our own internal challenges they sometimes you know uh, uh, do not allow us to um, uh, get out of those challenges and um, uh, uh, present ourselves as a good case study well yeah thank you i'm i'm glad to see the leadership it's exciting um i could only dream of a a, a unanimous uh, vote in our in our country's politics on climate change <laughs> um but uh i i do appreciate your time i i do and i realize that the, there are significant challenges um but i really hope the the best that that the ministry and, and the leadership is able to do that um in, in the next few years so thank you very much for your time and um thank you for for being on the show thank you very much it was a uh, good experience and i i hope uh, this information is useful and uh, people can understand the challenges we are facing and uh, together the message is together we can do it and and the window of opportunity is closing very fast we must act again uh hope you enjoyed the episode it was really quite the visual that um what uh, Irfan uh, shared of, of of Pakistan being somewhat of a slide and having a, a, the third largest ice mass at the top and um obviously we're seeing some devastating effects from uh, increasing temperatures heat waves not only on the agricultural sector but just on just general livelihoods um but it is promising it's exciting to see that the steps are being made obviously much more effort needs to be in, um, focused in terms of capacity building and localization of adaptation efforts, but it's great to see that at the policy level, at the national level, these things are happening. So we're gonna continue moving forward on the focus uh, on the topic of adaptation and, um, and uh, hope you uh, hope to see you next week. Thanks.